Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, having a fierce love for Jesus will benefit you. The more you love God, the more you love Jesus, the more of God's grace and favor is going to be in your life. In fact, at the very end of Ephesians, the Bible says, Grace unto everyone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So I encourage you, focus on your love for God, and you will receive grace and power like you've never had before. We're talking in Acts. We're in Acts 19. And this is going to be an interesting, interesting message. I hope at least it is. it has been for me. And I've been trying to apply this. I've been trying to, like, this is for me. And I, I always try to do that. And so I hope you'll do the same thing. I hope you'll take this and make it yours, apply it to you. So the question that we're going to answer today, so Paul's traveling through Asia, uh, which I guess would be modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor in those days, and he gets to Ephesus, Ephesus. Now, you can go into, if you had a lot of money, I guess you could go take a cruise and go to the, the, the ruins of Ephesus. And I don't have any pictures today. Um, but it's interesting. There's basically three or four times that we get a view of the Ephesians church. And I want to jump all the way to the end. All right. And in Revelations, uh, one of the 12 disciples, John at that time, he speaks to the Ephesians and the Ephesians church, and he says, he talks to them about their loss of love for Jesus. And I want to read it to you just really quick. So we're going to go, it's one of those things where you go to the end and then you rewind and go kind of to the beginning. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the end and then go back um, to the time when Paul was actually in Ephesus. So here it is in Revelations 2, um, John, we won't go into all the details of John at this point, but he has his vision And Jesus tells him to speak to the Ephesian church, and he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. Jesus is dictating to John, and he writes these. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the the seven golden lampstands, speaking of the churches there in what we would call modern-day Turkey. He says, I know your deeds. He's speaking to Ephesians church, the, the Ephesian Christians. He says, I know your deeds. And he, in other words, I know what you're doing. And I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked, wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, or in other words, Christian leaders, but are not, and have found them false. And you have persevered, and you have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. He says, yet I hold this against you, You have forsaken your love you had at first. You have forsaken. You you originally loved me really intensely, but you've forsaken that love. Consider how how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, you'll no longer be the church. You'll no longer be the gathering of believers that you originally were. So Jesus is saying to this church, you had an intense passion for me, and now you don't have it anymore. You used to show love to me, and now you don't anymore. Now you just come to church. You just attend church. You have no, you're no longer the way that you used to be. 
And when it's, when it's talking about leaving your first love, it means it's talking about this. You have replaced God in your heart with something else. You've replaced. At one point, God was number one, and now you've found something else, and you've put something else into that place. You have something or someone who is more important in your heart than God is. What is this? In many versions of the Bible, it's, it speaks, it's, it says it in different words. And so I looked up many of these different versions, and one of them says you've abandoned the love that you had at first. At one point, you were in love with Jesus, and now you've turned away from that love, and you're pursuing a different love. That's what he was saying in the Bible, in Revelation. He says, you've turned away. Abandoned is one. You've turned away. And here's another word. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. And, and so the Bible tells us that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you, but yet you and I, sometimes we forsake our love that we had at first for Jesus. We forsake. He won't forsake us, but yet we've forsaken him. Nothing is more painful than the lack of love that should come from someone that should be giving us love. Nothing is more painful in the world than, that, than losing the love of someone who should love you. A parent, a wife or a husband... A friendship, when you lose that love, it hurts more than any physical love that, or any physical pain that you could ever experience. And I want you to think about a time, because every person has lacked love in their life from someone that was rightfully, should be loving you. You've, you're lacking it, and it hurts. And I want you to think of that hurt right now. Because that's what we're talking about. And that's what Jesus feels when you stop loving him the way that you rightfully should love him. That's how he feels. He deserves your love because he's given you his love. Why can't we love him back? That's what Jesus was saying to the Ephesians church and the Ephesians Christians. Are you part of that same group? Have you lost your love for Jesus? Recently, and I'm not bragging or complaining here at all, I'm just telling you, I love Jesus so much, I want him to know that I love him. And I didn't used to be that way. I, I used to be distracted from the Lord. I can't imagine being on a date with my wife, my poor wife, she gets drugged into every example, just like my parents dragged me into all their examples. All right? My poor wife... I can imagine being on a date, and I've spent all the money, I've made it nice, I gave her flowers, we get to the restaurant, she pulls out her phone and just starts going through Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and, or, or texting someone, I'm like, hey, it's us, Where, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, and just quiet. Wouldn't that be the worst date in the world? That's how we are with God. God comes, he prepares everything, he gets a time when we can be just together, just he and I, and all we do is we think about work, or we think about what we have to do, or we're mentally going through all these other things. Do you, how do you fe think God feels when we're that way? God wants our undivided, loving, passionate attention with him. That's what God wants, and that's what he deserves, because he gave it all for us. Why can't we give it all for him? That love, that, that, that passion for God. Love manifests itself in fierceness. Did you know God is fiercely in love with you? 
It manifests itself in, in warmth. There's nothing like, and Kyle was mentioning this when he came home, is like, oh, just the warmth of, of love, of, of home, of being back home again. That's how God, he puts a warmth around you. Why can't we just enjoy that warmth? Why can't we reciprocate that warmth and give it back to him? He deserves it. There's a, a trueness, a wholeness, a soundness of love that when you come in touch with it, you're like, I want that trueness of love, that wholeness of love. There's a practical expression of love. God doesn't just say, I love you. He's, he shows you his love through his grace, his mercy, through his comfort, through his peace, through all the wonderful things that he gives you in life. He shows you. Can you show love to God as well? I'm going to challenge you this week, and it comes in the form of one of our texts. I'm going to challenge you to show how much you love God somehow, some way. How could you show God that you love him? Write him a poem. Oh, you say, I'm not a poet. Let me find something else. Write him, write him a love note. Do something good for someone else showing how much you love God. Because God, the Bible talks about if, if you go and visit someone in the hospital, you're doing it as unto Jesus. You'll get to heaven and he say, you came visit me in the hospital. You say, how did I visit you in the hospital? When you came and visited that sick, neglected person, you were visiting me. Show God how much you love him in a very practical sense, and it will change your life. You'll start kindling and fanning into flame the love that you have for God by showing him how much you love him. He showed it to you. Now, that lack of love, what does that look like? It's terrible. Someone brought some beautiful little kittens to church today. Little tiny, they're, they're fostering them, all right? What if you neglected those little precious little animals by not feeding them, by not taking care of them? Let me tell you what, when you don't love, you begin to neglect the person who should be loved. There's neglect, there's coldness, there's a lack of affection. What if my wife said, I love you, but never, she just tapped me on the shoulder, you know? No affection. I'll tell you what, we need to show affection to our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the songs that we sang today. It goes right in line. We didn't plan it that way. But they show affection to God. And you can use your imagination. Sometimes I think of, of you know, if Jesus were right here and there was a chair right there. And I, I just, you know, I just got down on my knees, man. And I just sat before Jesus. And I, I can just picture the, the nail scars on his feet, the nail scars on his hand, the expression on his face. Use your imagination. Use your imagination of, of a showing affection to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's being present, this lack of love, well, you're not present. You know, a mom or dad who's working all the time, they can't be at home. They say, well, I, I, you know, it's just about quality. It's not about the quantity of time I spend with my family. It's just the quality. That's bogus. <laughs> That's simply stupidity. You've got to give quantity to the one that you love. Otherwise, you'll be distracted. There'll be la lack of attentive. So anyways, let's do this. This was the end this is how, this is the last thing we heard about the Ephesians church. Now let's go back and see what 
other points in time there was interaction or there was a message to the, 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 the Christians there in Ephesus. So let's just do a quick timeline. Paul went to Ephesus more or less around AD 52 and 54. He was there for about two years. The Bible's, this is all just uh, kind of taking the Bible and fitting it into these timelines. Some of these dates might be a slight bit off, but they're pretty close. All right. So in AD 52 and 54, Paul went to Ephesus and that's Acts 19. That's the story of Acts 19. And I'm going to tell you about that story here in just a second. Then, uh, then in AD 62, about eight years later, now let's think about eight years just for a second. All right, we're in 2023. That puts eight years later for us, about 2015. Can you remember what happened in 2015 in your life? When you think of some things in and around that time, and you start thinking about eight years ago, that wasn't that long, long ago, you know? It's, it's pretty, you know, that was a few years before COVID. And what were you doing at that time? Well, just eight years later, after Paul being there for two years, he wrote them a letter. And where Paul was at the time, he was actually in Rome under house arrest. And he was cranking out a bunch of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit via letters to churches and individuals that we have in our, in our Bibles today. So eight years later, he, he wrote to them, and we're going to look at some of the things that he wrote to them so we can kind of flesh this out. And then about 33 years later, then John writes to the Ephesian church, and that's what we just looked at just now. So we're going to rewind all the way back to about 40 years prior and look at these points in time. Now, let me just mention really quick here. This is interesting. I got, man, I got into this. I was studying this and writing notes and thinking about it. But the Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, was, he was exiled to Patmos, this island. You know how Australia, uh, way back when England sent all their prisoners to Australia and just kept them there. Um, this was similar to what had happened on Patmos. They were taking uh, some Christians and some criminals and putting them, exiling them on this small island. And this is where John uh, received his revelation and where the book of Revelations comes to us, the apocalypse. And here's where this message to the Ephesians church came. Well, when John was released from Patmos, he went to Ephesus. That's where he was known to be buried. That's where he died, was in Ephesus, and he was part of the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is interesting because in AD 70, and I'm sorry to give you all this history, and some of you guys may hate history, and so I'm sorry, but it's, it's interesting stuff. In about AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed, and the Jews in Jerusalem, including the Christians and the church of Jerusalem, were dispersed all over the world. And many of the key leaders from Jerusalem fled and ended up in Ephesus. And Ephesus became kind of the epicenter of the churches in that whole part of the world. The key leaders, including John himself, ended up in Ephesus. And so when John writes the church to Ephesus, writes to the church in Ephesus, his revelation, he's writing to his next door neighbor. <laughs> The people he went to church with, the people he was close to. And it was, it was tough. Can you imagine if I come to you and I say, I just had a vision about you. And by the way, you've lost your first love. You don't love Jesus the way that you should. He was writing in that level of proximity. And so 
Let's go all the way back to when Paul was in Ephesus and that church was actually started. It's in Acts 19. I'm not going to throw it up here on the screen. I'm just going to tell you about it. Paul comes to Ephesus for what appears to be the first time, and he looks for some fellow Christians, and he finds 12 men, 12 disciples. And he comes to those 12 men, and he asks them, hey, what do you know? And he says, well, we've been baptized with the baptism of John. He says, well, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. He baptizes these fellows. He prays over them, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and the spark starts of probably one of the mightiest revivals in history out of the city of Ephesus. Because from that point, Paul goes and he begins to speak boldly for three months in the Jewish synagogue there, and the the church starts growing. They go from 12 hungry men to a church that starts expanding. Well, the Jews in that synagogue began to oppose him, so he says, forget it. I'm taking the people that have given their heart to Jesus, and we're going to go start. And he starts a lecturing. He starts lecturing in this um, in the Hall of Tyrrhenius, I believe it's called, and he talks there for almost two years, and the power of God starts changing people's lives so much that everybody in the whole province of Asia Minor, which is the majority of Turkey, hears the word of the Lord. I'm telling you, the sparks start flying, and then God starts doing miracles, so much so that people start bringing aprons and handkerchiefs, and they let Paul, I guess, pray over them or touch them. They take these aprons and handkerchiefs, they start laying them on the sick, and people start start getting healed by the power of God. People who are oppressed and possessed of the devil, they're freed. All because the power of God is in Ephesus. I mean, people's love for Jesus was fiery hot. I mean, they couldn't tolerate wickedness. And at some point, the Christians there get so fired up. Some of them had been in Satanism and the occult and whatnot. They start bringing in their scrolls that they'd use for all their incantations and curses and whatnot. And they bring them up and they start repenting. They say, I don't want anything from my prior life. I'm sick and tired of the way that I lived. And they, they pile on all these demonic occultic scrolls and they burn them. And there's mass repentance in the church and people loving Jesus with all their heart. They, they're on fire for God. There's persecution. There's people, there's a riot in Ephesus. If you read in, in Acts 19, I'll tell you what, if you want a good read, read the book of Acts. It is adventure packed. There's all kinds of exciting things going on. And this is probably one of the most exciting stories right here. All kinds of stuff happens in one of the most powerful spiritual revivals seen in the Bible, right there in Ephesus. And a church is birthed with the love of God that's so strong, so passionate, so unshakable, so undying, an undying love for Jesus. So that's how all this starts. Then, eight years later, in in around AD 62, Paul's in Rome, and he feels inspired by the Spirit of God to write the Ephesians church a letter. And I'm just going to give you some samplings from that letter. It's in the book of Ephesians in the Bible. But in Ephesians 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children. You see, you can't love until you're loved. 
He says, you are loved, Ephesians church. Christians, God loves you as his dearly loved children. He says in verse two, he says, walk in the way of love. Somehow Paul knew, and I'm sure it was by by the spirit of God, he knew that these people's love was already dying eight years later. Even though the whole country of Turkey had turned around, had heard the word of the Lord, their love was starting to dwindle down. He said, walk in the way of the love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in, he ends his letter with this, this one statement right here in Ephesians 6 verse 24. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. An undying love. Let me ask you, is your love like this just slowly but surely dwindling down? Or is your love an undying love that's just growing and growing and growing in the Lord? An undying love, and I love this verse, I've been thinking about it. If you want God's favor in your life, then love him. Do you want God's favor? Some people, I I talked to this guy the other day, he said, God hadn't done anything good for me ever. That's what he told me. Never done anything good for me. And I thought to myself, and you know, I got to be careful with what you say. But if you'll start loving God, you're going to see his favor in your life growing. And here's how I've, I've seen it play out in several, several way, times this way. A grandparent who has multiple grandchildren, the one that comes and sits on their grandparents' lap and wants to watch them cook or work in, in the yard or whatever, and that, that little grandchild just follows their grandmother or grand, grandfather around, they can't help but be favored by their grandparent. Whereas the other ones who shy away and don't want to get close to their grandparents and, ooh, their breath stinks and I don't like them and whatever... All right. Those that that shy away, they don't get the favor of the grandparent. It's just natural. I tell you what, you get close to God. He's going to favor you. Good things are going to happen in your life when you say, I love you, God. And I want to show you, God, how much I'm passionately in love with you. Amen? Amen. So here, let me read it again. Grace, favor. Grace is favor. Favor to all of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Man, that's awesome. But then he writes to them in Ephesians 3, still on the letter, eight years later. He says this. This is interesting. A lot of people, they they want the power of God, but they're uh, so-so about the love of God. All right? Look at this. This is how you get the power of God to strengthen your daily life so that you're not weak, you're strong in him. And and these scriptures are bookended by power, but in the middle, you'll see the love part of this. Look at this. This has been, man, it's been blessing me for the last several weeks. Ephesians 3, verse 16, it says, may he grant you, and this is in the amplified version of the Bible. In other words, there's, there's more words here. It's expanded and amplified so that we can understand it better. It says, may he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened. Don't you want strength? I want to wake up in the morning energized. I, I want it to be hard to stop working because I have so much energy and so just excitement about whatever I'm doing. All right, so he says, I, I want out of the riches of God's glory to give you strength, spiritually energized with a power through the spirit in your inner self. Well, I think that's all of us. We would like to have more energy, more strength, because there's so much to get done, right? 
Well, here's how you get the strength and the energy of God and the power of God in your life so that you can get things done and be on top of stuff instead of under stuff. So here in verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you may, uh, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love. Oh, God's love. Man, if I felt like my parents were going to pitch me out because I did drugs or, or didn't, didn't do what they wanted me to do or got a couple of girls pregnant, you know, all that kind of stuff. If I thought that their love would end because of my actions, I wouldn't be grounded in love. But I knew that every time I did something wrong or was prone to wrongdoing, which I was, praise God, they prayed for me. And see, I started getting grounded and rooted in love so that when something bad came, you couldn't pull me out of God's love. You couldn't pull me out of their love. My wife's the same. You can't pull me out of the love because I'm grounded. I'm rooted in that love. And that's the key to strength and power in your life because you know God is not going to throw you out in the street every time you look wrong, do wrong, say wrong. No, God is going to keep loving you now, you need to turn around. Don't get me wrong. You don't just keep doing wrong and, and take advantage of God's grace. But knowing God loves you is the strongest, most wonderful thing in this whole wide world. You're grounded. You're rooted in love. Being, look at this. That's number one. Number two, verse 18 of Ephesians 3 says, being fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, that's God's people, the width, the length, the height, the depth of his love. Fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. So you got to be capable of understanding God's love. And it says that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge. In other words, just you know, inexperienced love. In other words, thinking. You might be able to say, yeah, God loves me. But do you know that he loves you? You can say it. You can think it. But do you know how much God loves you? Wow. And so it goes on. It says that you may be filled up thorough throughout your entire being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your life, completely filled and flooded with God himself. I love that term. God wants to flood your life. He wants to just flood it. We go into the west side sometimes, you know, go to these beautiful neighborhoods or, or out into the pecan, what are they called, orchards or whatever. Anyways, where all the pecan trees are. And you see that Rio Grande has flooded the, the, you know, where the trees are. It's flooded the, the lawns. And they're just flooded with all that nourishing water, you know, that clean water from the Rio Grande. I don't know if it's clean. But anyways, it's, it's flooded those neighborhoods, and that's why it's so green. It's so beautiful over there. God wants to flood your life every day with his love. He wants to flood you, man, soak you in his love so that every time somebody thinks bad about you, says bad about you, treats bad, it doesn't matter. I, God loves me. It doesn't matter. You know, you can say whatever you want to. And you get to the place where you're not comparing yourself to anybody. You're not trying to be somebody else. You're just God's child. He floods you. And then look what happens. Now to him who's able to carry out this purpose of his, do so super abundantly more than all you can dare ask, think, beyond your wildest hopes and dreams, according to the power that's at work within you. How do you get God's power in your life? 
through his love. Through his love. Power comes second. Strength comes second. Energy comes second. God's love is el numero uno. (laughs) Number one. Nothing else matters as much as God's love. So deeply rooted and securely grounded in God's love. And that's like this, uh, you know, the, the Bible says he's the vine where the branches. And I've been thinking about this. Where my branch connects to the main vine, that's the most important thing in my life is that connection right there. Not the fruit out way out there. Ooh, look at that fruit that I got. Look at that good thing I did. No, no, no. What's most important is my connection with God, my proximity, my closeness to him, deeply rooted in him, connected to him. Then we see also from these scriptures that I just read, we need to build our capability to comprehend the massive, endless, bottomless love of God for you and me. Well, What does capability mean? I'm capable of comprehending. What that means is I spend time thinking about God's love for me. I apply myself. I study the love of God. I practice being loved by God. I just say, hey, oh, God loves me. (laughs) I don't have to prove anything to the Lord. He just loves me so much. His grace is, so I'm capable. I, I spend time on this because for the longest time, I couldn't comprehend that God loved me. I'm such an idiot. I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. I made so many dumb mistakes. How could God love a stupid guy like me? That, those were my thoughts. Now I'm capable of saying God can love this idiot anyways. He can love me even when I mess up. He can, he's not up there with a hammer. He's up there with a, he might spank me a couple of times. That's okay. All right. But he's up there encouraging me. He's trying to push me past my obstacles. He's trying to get me out of the pit of my addictions and my silliness and put me on solid ground. I need to apply myself to understand that insane, relentless love of his for me. I've got to apply myself. That's that capability. And then it says, knowing the love of Jesus by experience, I'm going to lose myself in relationship with Jesus. Every man, I love it. Even this morning, I was like, oh, crud, I didn't get up soon enough. Man, I need to take a walk with my Lord this morning. I got up for about 20 minutes, and I was like this close to the park that I like to walk on because it takes some time to get there. And I was like, oh, Jesus, shoot, man, we're not going to have enough time together this morning. Bummer. God, I wish I had more time with you. That's what I was thinking this morning. That just losing yourself in relationship with Jesus. Man, just like, oh, I love his presence. I love his word. I love, I love his love, man. I love the closeness. I love his power. I love the faith that he gives me. I love the peace that he gives me. I want more of Jesus. I'm hungry for him. You lose yourself in relationship with Jesus to the extent where you're like, I've got 20 things to do today, but this is number one, spending time with my Lord and Savior, my best friend. You say, Steve, you can't even see him. What are you talking about? Well, I tell you what, the unseen is better than the seen. I'm more hungry for what I can't see than what I can see. And of course, we open the door to God to just flood us and fill us with his presence. And and his closeness means so much to me. Oh, I love God's closeness. But anyways, 33 years later, We're almost done here. You can put your shoes on. 33 years later, John writes 
to the Ephesians again, 33 years later. That's a long time. Think about where you were 33 years later. Some of you didn't even exist 33 years ago. But I think of 33 years ago, that is a long time ago. And a lot can happen in 33 years. And this church of Ephesus was going steadily a, a, a very dying love, not an undying love, a dying love, steady but surely, you know. You can't fall into religion, guys. We're not about religion here. This is not, religion is dead. I hate religion. People ask me, well, you're a religious guy, aren't you, Steve? No, I'm not. I'm anti-religion. Anti, please, get religion away from me. I want relationship with Jesus is what I want. A living, exciting, thriving relationship with Jesus that I have on my own, outside of the church, outside of the gathering, by myself with the Lord. And then I come here and it's even richer because I'm with you and we're together in his presence. You need both. You need alone time with the Lord. If we were here in the gathering of believers 24-7, we'd get sick and tired of being here. God wants you to exit those doors and get alone with him Get into this world, change this world for Jesus, be some, be a light, be salt and light to this world. It needs us. But 33 years later, John writes uh, Jesus, the, the revelation he got from Jesus to the Ephesians Christians. And here I'll read it again in Ephesians 2, 4, verse 4. He says, I hold, Jesus says this to the Christians, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. That steady decline. You've come a long ways in the wrong direction, my friend. You know, you've fallen a long ways over 33 years. Repent from, repent and go back to the things that you did first, where there was 12 hungry men. They were saying, I don't get it, but I want more of God. And they got baptized in water and they got baptized in the spirit and they got set on fire for the Lord. Go back to that. Get away from your stinking busyness and say, I'm going to start creating space for God in my busy schedule. I want to be on fire for the Lord. I want to love God. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, we'll set up a church right down the block where people that love Jesus will gather instead of there in your place. All right? So how do you lose your, your love for God? This is what we'll end with. Be how you used to be. Don't do what you used to do. Be who you used to be. Be a different person. Don't be so drab and, and oh, I got to go to church and then I've got to go to lunch and I got to go work and I got to, no, no, no. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Be hungry. Be bold. Feast on the living word of God. Depend on miracles like Paul. He was just depending on miracles. I'll tell you what, I've started writing down all the miracles that God does and I've got on average about a miracle a day since I started doing this six, seven months ago. Big time miracles, medium-sized miracles, and tiny little but exciting miracles. God wants to do, stop being self-dependent and say, I love Jesus so much, I'm going to depend on his miracles when I'm at work, when I'm with my family, when I'm by myself. I'm going to start depending on his miracles in my life, and I'm not going to be depending on myself anymore. That's a big way you can love God with all your heart. Depending on miracles. They highly honored Jesus. I didn't tell you that story before about 40 years ago, uh, but I, it, we don't have time for it. But they were highly honoring Jesus. And that's what we need to highly honor Jesus. 
man, when somebody, you know, they're, they're spewing profanities out of their mouth and they say, Jesus Christ. Oh, that kills me, man. If I know him well enough, I say, please don't do that, dude. I mean, would you say, oh, uh, Buddha? Nobody says Buddha. No, they take Jesus's name in vain and they trash it in the mud and they're trashing the most powerful utterance in this world, the name of Jesus Christ. We need to honor Jesus, honor Jesus, his name. And then we need to radically repent, radically repent. Say, I am so sick and tired of doing things this way. I repent. I turn my back on it. I'm going to start going in a different direction. This is how you stir up and rekindle that love for the Lord. Now, I'm going to throw up a a quote here. (laughs) And you have to kind of sit here and think about this quote. But the decay of love, this was a a Bible commentator, a scholar wrote this, and I really like it. The decay of love is the decay of that without which all other graces are nothing. You got to sit there and kind of ponder this and think, like, what is that saying? Well, I'll put it into my words, all right? So look at this. The decay of love is the decay of God's favor in your life. The less you love God, like we talked about, the less favor, the good things you will have happening in your life. So get close to God. Love God with all your heart. Don't let your love decay and decline, but grow in your love with God. Grow in your love with God. How do you lose your love with Jesus? Two verses, and I'll end. Well, in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul talks about this guy named Demas. And actually, previous to this, Demas had been really close to Paul. They'd been working together. Uh, He's even considered one of the helpers in one of the books that Paul wrote. It would appear at least. But it says, for Demas, because he has loved the world, has deserted me and gone, uh, gone away. You know the problems I have with saying Thessalonica. I'll try it. <laughs> All right. If you love the world, you won't love God. If you love God, you won't love the world. Not meaning people in the world, but you won't love the the distractions of the world, the materialism of the world, the entertainment of the world, the, the, the fame and glitz and glamour of the world. You won't love it because you love God. But if you love the glitz and glamour of the world, you won't love God. You can't love two things at once. Can you imagine if I had two wives? Do you think I can love two wives? No, nobody can do that. <laughs> you know, one wife, one God. One master, one savior, one king of kings, one lord of lords. I'm going to put him on the throne of my heart. I'm going to make him first and foremost in my life. Demas didn't do that. He loved what the world had to offer more than what God had to offer. Mark 4.14 says, look at this. And Jesus, he says, he gives you a warning. He says, but the worries and cares of this world, that's the distractions of this age with all its worldly pleasures, the deceitfulness and the false security or glamour of wealth or fame, and the passionate desires for all other things, they creep in and choke out the word of God so that you become unfruitful. In other words, you lose your love for God. Be careful. 
with what's creeping into your life, it'll choke out your ability to love God. You can't love two things at once. You got to have pick one and go all the way. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and God will take care of everything else for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for, Lord Jesus, for this, this word. We see the decline of the Ephesian Christians, Lord, and we could easily put ourselves into their midst and say, I'm one of those people too. I have let worldly things come in, distractions, secret addictions, Lord, secret desires, Lord God, unhealthy, unnatural even desires come into my life, and I don't want that stuff anymore. I want to love God with all of my heart. Lord, we want to be like that Ephesians church at first, Lord God, where there's 12 hungry people, Lord. They were, they were desperate for God. They were out there on their own, Lord God. And Lord, something sparked something in those men's life, Lord, that ended up changing that whole area of the world. The whole area of the world, oh God. Lord, if just two or three people in this church, Lord, get a hunger for God, And Lord, begin to have God's presence flood their lives every morning. Lord Jesus, say, I refuse to let the busyness of my schedule get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Lord, this, this whole city could turn around if just two or three people would do that. Oh, God, I pray that we as Christians, Lord, would really be Christ-like, Lord, that we'd be hungry, we'd hunger and thirst after righteousness.